Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news... All right, I'll do. It. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more, with Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. Hi, everyone, and welcome to the House of Pot. I'm Kaveh. And I'm Lizzie. And if this is your first time listening, we're a medical... Sort of. ...podcast where we try to discuss medicine and health in a relatable way. And we will answer questions you may not feel comfortable asking your doctor and definitely won't bring up to your friends. On today's show, we're going to be talking to Dr. Jennifer Gunter. She's an OB-GYN doctor, and she's also a writer and blogger. You can find her at drjengunter.com, and she has a new book coming out at the beginning of the year called The Vagina Bible. The opinions on this podcast are broadcasted for educational and informational purposes only and do not represent the opinions of our employers. These opinions are not intended as a diagnosis, treatment, or as a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Please consult a local physician or other healthcare professional for your specific healthcare and or medical needs or concerns. Welcome back to the House of Pod. I'm Kaveh. I'm Joe. And sitting in today, because Lizzie's out, she's at a Magic the Gathering convention, we have... Raja Jagadeesan. Hey, Raja. Thanks for coming, buddy. Thanks for having me, man. It's good to see you. I love your beard. Oh, thanks. It works out well on a podcast. Yeah. It's a, <laughs> it's a face made for podcasting. Um, so, guys, how are we? The fact that you're here, Raja, you got the three stooges today. I like it. <laughs> I know, I know. Unencumbered by the calming voice of Lizzie. <laughs> right. So there is something I want to talk about. Mm. There is something, uh, I have a little something to chat about. Um, this happened to me yesterday at work. I don't know if you've had this experience before, mm. but a nurse came up to me and was like, why are you easy to talk to? Like it was... A- <laughs> Yes. Like it was yes. a, like a problem. Like it was, I'm like, yeah. what, what do you mean? And she was like, 
I've worked with a lot of doctors. Yeah. Um, and by the way, I, I would actually, being honest, my group is pretty great. Like in terms yeah. of like personalities and like, uh, but she's like, you know, doctors in general over the years I've noticed and I've worked lots of different places. They're kind of, I'm like weird. She's like, yeah, I'm glad you said it. And I'm like, hmm. There's a nurse. Who said yeah. This is like a nurse. And I'm like, uh, yeah, I can't argue that. Um, the fact that I'm considered like normal says a lot about doctors. You know what I mean? <laughs> like, I think we've talked about this before, but it doesn't take much to be considered a cool doctor. Yeah, right. That's true. The bar is lower. <laughs> the bar is low. People don't yeah. expect much from us on like a personality basis, right? Yeah. Which yeah. is funny considering our job is to deal with people. Yeah. No, I've, I've had very similar actions. I had a nurse that I'd known for years and, and I've been doing a little less clinical work last year and she's like, oh my God, it's so good to see you again. You know, you are so good with the patients. And I'm like, oh, thanks. But the way she said it was not like, it was more like, and others aren't. Yeah. <laughs> right. Like, wait, 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 wait. But I... Let's let's say they, they, I, my colleagues are actually pretty great too. Yeah. I'm actually pretty. Maybe happy. they're saying that to every doctor. Maybe yeah, that's, that's like something yeah. in the nursing manual that they just right, learned right. to say to be like, "You are a special doctor. <laughs> you really." And they they're smart about now, that. Please that's, return my pages. Right. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> that's that's very possible. Yeah. Um. But it 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 is it's true. I, I here's the thing. Here's the thing. I, I think this is an important point for me, and this is like one of the basic tenements of why I think we have to do this show is that what makes a cool doctor is not someone who's necessarily funny or tells good jokes or is the life of the party, but I think it's someone who can just be themselves. Yeah. We spend right. so much time <clears throat> yes. in our medical training going through residency to get very good at this one thing. It's almost in some ways like a factory. Yeah. And you can lose a bit of yourself. I So like... I, I think the the guys and the girls, the the doctors who can keep that that sense of themselves and be themselves and sound like themselves and speak like themselves, yeah. even to patients, I think that's huge. Like you you know, like when we were in college, like we were all like sort of striving to be the best version of ourselves that we could be. We were learning tons. Everything was coming at us. It was new. We were excited about things. We had passion projects. And then, you know, you have to really focus on getting into medical school. And then when you get into medical school, you really have to focus there. You stop growing in those other ways. And, you know, you stop like trying to be a better person. It's like the sun degree. Wait, are you seeing our coolness plateaus at some point? <laughs> Is that what you're Maybe. But the thing is, it's like you, you in some way, we're like in stunted adolescence. Yeah. Because yeah, a lot yeah. of doctors, their growth kind of stopped in some ways, which is amazing because we're super responsible in some ways and we take care of yeah, patients and we yeah. do all the right things. Yeah. But we kind of at some point stopped working on ourselves. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? <laughs> like we are like, oh, we, I have these academic accolades. I've right. gotten into the programs I want. I'm the kind of doctor I want to be. And then you kind of just at some point you start to buy into that and you stop working on yourself. Right, right. Does that, does that make sense? That's funny. Yeah, I can totally see what you mean. Yeah, I think a lot of people think doctors are kind of stunted emotionally, socially, perhaps a little immature in some ways. Or maybe just also I think just not kind of uh, world-wise – like they're just not like aware sometimes of right. things that common people would should be aware of necessarily. Right. right. Um, but I think you, you did say something interesting, which is like, yeah, I think you have to be yourself, you know. Right. And my wife um, had an OB guy that she was with for decades. He just retired, and you meet that guy, and 
he's not outgoing. He's introverted and awkward and but you know what? He was smart and he cared and he would always follow through and she loved him because he he was always himself. Yeah. He didn't pretend to be the cool guy. He's right. not the cool guy. <laughs> he was not. But he he was focused on like, you're my patient. We're gonna figure out how to help you. Yeah. I'm gonna do. And he was there and he was present. He was authentic. Yeah. And that was that was authentic. Is authenticity. Authentic. Yeah. It mattered. No, you're right. That goes a long way. Yeah, I mean, I think the personal aspect is really important. I mean, especially for the patient too, not just for, I've said this a million times, but like uh, having a good relationship with the doctor is important because sometimes patients do not tell the doctor everything. And if you don't have that relationship and the doctor doesn't know the person or their tendencies, and um, I think having a relationship will lead to a better outcome more often than not. Yeah, that's totally true because it's a relationship. Yeah. I mean, it's a yeah. relationship and... I mean, otherwise you could have a computer do it for you, right? That's I mean, right. Why even have doctors? Yeah. I mean, the fact, and if you feel like you trust that person, you actually might tell them things that, yes. you, that are relevant that right. you may not have told them otherwise. Yeah. Yeah. I've, so I try and, because uh, I'm a nerd and I do education, I've tried to operationalize uh I, no, I self-reflected. Why did the nurse say that, right? And so I, I must and, break this down into yeah, a do. chart. I, I'm, 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 I, so I teach my uh, my trainees. Um, <clears throat> so when we take a history, you know, we're taught this very like structured way to get your information because you need to get a lot of information from your patient. And like, Joe, how old are you? And what are your medical issues? And what medicines are you on? Blah 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 blah. And I tell my trainees, try starting with what we call a social history. So at some point, you have to ask like, where are you from? Are you married? Blah blah. Do you mind? And we consider it a medical history, but I would say just start with a social history because Joe's a person. And if you met someone at a cocktail party, it'd be much more like you wouldn't start with Joe. How's your, uh, how's your backside feeling right now? You'd be like, where are you from? Right. What do you do? You married or not? What do you got? You got any kids? You got and when you start that way, like a normal conversation, I find the rest of the conversation, they're much more honest. Totally. You know? Totally. Yeah. I mean, and it's not just being personable though. It's, it helps the doctor helped the patient by being that way. All right. That's good. Point. So in summary, I think Kave, she was probably just fluffing you up a little bit. That's my guess. <laughs> yeah, that, that scans. All right. So everyone hang tight. We have an amazing guest with us today. We have Dr. Jennifer Gunter. She is an OB-GYN doctor here in the San Francisco Bay Area. She is a writer, a blogger, and uh, you have definitely heard of her, at least in context of taking on Gwyneth Paltrow, Goop, and other pseudosciences. We're going to get into that, get into her story. It's pretty great. Check her out at drjengunter.com and look for her new book, The Vagina Bible, coming out soon. We have on the show with us today, Dr. Jennifer Gunter, obstetrician, gynecologist here in the San Francisco Bay Area. She's also a very popular blogger, writer. You become really, I think, well known for being someone who debunks these very sort of dubious health claims made by sometimes non-healthcare professionals, sometimes famous people, and pseudoscience in general. We'll get to that in a little bit. But first, a little background on you. Thank you so much for coming on the show. Oh, my pleasure. Thank you so much for having me. Let's talk about Wikipedia, because <laughs> you have a Wikipedia page. I do not yet. I want one. 
But then I see some things on your Wikipedia page that I have to ask you about. Okay. So first of all, Wikipedia refers to you as a vaginal health expert. Is that like a title you use or is that just Wikipedia's way of saying ob Uh, I don't know. I didn't, I didn't make the Wikipedia page. Uh, I don't really know who did, but it's cool that they did. So thank you if you're listening. But uh, yeah, I mean, I am a vaginal health expert. One of my expertises is I'm a vulvovaginal disorders expert. So, so, so it's that, not too far off. It's really not too far okay. off. And, and so that would be a large part of what I do, my, you know, research, clinical work. So, so I'm okay with that. Okay. Awesome. Then here's another thing they mentioned. It said that you had a positive experience at a hospital when you were young, you were about 11 years old and you had this experience that motivated you to become a doctor. It was that you had your spleen ruptured, you declined sedation, and you wanted to watch them as they did the surgery on you. Is that true? Well, not quite the surgery. That's not quite accurate. But I did rupture my spleen. So I was skateboarding, and I was 11, and I I fell, and I landed on my back. And as a GI doctor, you probably know a lot about you know visceral injuries. And mm. I was in a lot of pain, but I rode my bike back because I'm a tough chick. Because you're a baller. Exactly. And uh, my mother uh, said that it was my own fault for skateboarding, so I should just <laughs> shut up and go to bed, <laughs> which basically kind of encapsulates our relationship. Right. So I did that, and I couldn't sleep because it hurt so much. It hurt so much. And in the morning, fortunately, we had a general surgeon that lived on the street uh, who uh, my mom told him that I was up all night in pain and he said, well, I know Jennifer and she's not really a complainer. So maybe you should take her to the hospital. So my mother doesn't drive cause that's a sign of weakness. So, <laughs> so I had to walk with her two like blocks. Whole tangents here that we should go off into. I know. There's a lot to unpack in this story, <laughs> but I, I want to hear what happened. Okay. So, uh, so I had to walk to the bus with my mother with a ruptured spleen. And uh, then we had to take two buses because we had to take a transfer to get to the pediatrician's office. And the pediatrician took one <laughs> look at me and uh, called an ambulance. So so then we went to the emergency department. And this is a long time ago. This is before CT scans existed and ultrasounds existed. So I had to have an emergency angiogram. Oh, wow. So I had an emergency angiogram in radiology. Mm-hmm. And so for our listeners who don't know a lot about medicine, uh, how would you explain that? What- so an angiogram is, I guess, I'm a gynecologist, so I'm going to do my best here. They put a large uh, needle and catheter into a blood vessel and then inject contrast and look on uh, look with x-rays to see where the dye is going. And if it leaks out of the organ, then it uh, looks like you've bust the organ open and that's a bad thing. Yeah. If I were an 11 year old, I'd want sedation. So if I were, if I were me now, I'd want sedation for that. So oh, it's pretty tough. I'd be kind of curious to see actually. It was, yeah. they were, you know, the thing about it was I was pretty precocious for 11, I'll say. Uh, and I looked a lot older too, which also helps, you know, I probably looked about 16 or 17. Mm-hmm. So they were, everybody spoke to me like they, like an adult, but not in like a, you would scare kids kind of way like mm-hmm. and that was age appropriate for me and they were all super nice and and they offered me a shot of what i'm gonna guess was probably valium and i am injection of something and i said i'd like to watch so i just had the local anesthetic mm-hmm. and i watched the angiogram and the radiologist explained everything to me that mm-hmm. was going on the nurses explained everything i knew not to move because i knew if i misbehaved then they probably would give me a sedation mm-hmm. and so i watched the whole angiogram and, oh, wow. and it was really cool so how'd you get from that to ob <laughs> Well, let's see what happened. So I, you know, I went in, I got into medical school pretty early and Ontario uh, in Manitoba, Manitoba. 
And I'd been pretty involved uh, when I was 16. I used to go down to uh, the first freestanding abortion clinic in uh, Winnipeg and, uh, you know, pick it on behalf of, you know, the, the clinic and um, offer kind of a line oh. of defense against the protesters. I remember riding on my 10 speed bike to do that. So I was always interested in women's health. And then when I was in medical school, I was uh, pissed off that all my lectures on women's health were from men. So mm -hmm. I decided that I, so I went into OBGYN um, from a place of anger, I suppose. <laughs> mm -hmm. That's good. It's, it's motivation. Yeah. That's great. Either love or anger brings yeah. you to becoming a good doctor, I think. I think a, a common theme for me is righteous indignation. Right. That's, uh, that's kind of how my kids sum it up. So I, I probably went in out of a place of righteous indignation. Oh, good. Good. That probably makes for a good doctoring. So I also saw that you did an ID fellowship I did. along the way. How did that come to be? Why did you do one of those? Well, I found uh, infectious diseases really interesting in OBGYN. And uh, I always thought the ID guys in the hospital were like the smartest people. Mm -hmm. You know, if you sort of like tear through everybody in medicine, they were like, to me, like the intellectual heavyweights. They're up there. You know. <laughs> I, think, I think nephrologists, in my mind, are always kind of smart. Endocrine, maybe. Endocrine. Because there's like calculations and there's like electrolytes and balancing of things that I don't want to deal with. Yeah. I learned, yeah. I learned the acid base balance like, you know, once right. or, well, I know I, well, I know it well for the vagina, but that's different. Yeah. Uh, so, but anyway, so I think, uh, I, so I was really interested and that's when we were just learning things about HPV and really the whole field of, uh, infectious diseases and women's health was kind of opening up. And so I decided I wanted to do an ID fellowship and I couldn't do it in Canada. So I went down to the States. Mm -hmm. I went to Kansas city uh and uh, did my fellowship there was culture shock for that or was that it was a big culture shock i'd never experienced medical poverty before you know growing mm -hmm. up in canada mm -hmm. so that was really an eye-opener i worked one day a week at the std clinic and people would take three buses to come because they heard there was a doctor in the clinic that day you know that wow. they'd only ever seen a like an, and there's nothing wrong with seeing a nurse practitioner or seeing a nurse at all but to be sort of 25 and have never seen a doctor that's kind of a big statement yeah. and people were so kind uh you know there were people who worked at local restaurants like go chicken go and chicken and waffles and they would like bring me food from the <laughs> restaurants and just such like kindness extended so really some of them the lovely i met some of the loveliest people there yeah when did the blogging start so the blogging started, so after my children were born and they had a lot of health problems, you know, they were born very prematurely. They were in the intensive care unit for a long time. Oliver also, you know, had pulmonary valve stenosis and an ASD and he weighed 783 grams. So it's a bad combination. Wow. And he had his first cardiac procedure when he was three pounds and then he had pulmonary dysplasia. And so we were kind of going through all this health stuff. Yeah. And I, like everybody else, turned to the internet. And like everybody else, I was like, what the fuck are people reading? <laughs> like, what the hell? And then I started getting exposed to sort of all this anti-vaccine movement, which as a parent of a child who'd had multiple admissions for pneumonia, you know, influenza pneumonia, things like that, I thought, this is, okay, this is ridiculous. And I was very lucky because I, my kids had a lot of health problems and a lot of people in medicine extended me, I would say a great privilege. So it would be three in the morning and I'd be having all these problems and I'd be like, okay, I know somebody at the university of Michigan, I'm going to name drop them and email this expert there and right. see if I can get an answer, which is crazy when you think about it now. But when it's three in the morning and your kid's really ill, you're desperate. Oh my God. Yeah. yeah. No, you're, you're in a position where you're completely vulnerable despite 
how much knowledge and training you've had. When your kids are sick, there's nothing worse. Exactly. There's nothing makes you feel more helpless. And you reach for anything. Exactly. No, I get it. I get that desperation people have. And all these doctors replied kindly. They would say, gosh, you know, I don't know your child, but you know, these are some guidelines you should look at. Yeah. doesn't sound to me like you should worry, you know? And, and I thought, wow, why, why can't we have that? Why can't the internet be like that? Why can't we get good information like that easily mm-hmm. as opposed to, you know, um, eat your placenta, <laughs> you know, or put coffee up your ass. Right. So, yeah. so I just decided when my kids got Is healthier, that a thing? that's a thing. We'll, a thing. We'll talk about it. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah. so I just decided when my kids got healthier that I would extend my privilege and try to clean up my little corner of the internet. And here we are. It's pretty great. Cause I mean, I think as doctors, we all mm-hmm. see, the, you know, medicine misrepresented in popular culture and in different social medias. But most of us just kind of like laugh and maybe tell our friends about it. But you actually took that next step to put yourself in the public eye. And you put yourself in public forums, not just for that, but talking about Gwyneth Paltrow and the goop thing. We'll, we'll talk about that in a little bit. But when you do that, when you put yourself out there, and I assume this is a reason why a lot of doctors don't want to, is that you are also making yourself susceptible to that backlash. Because the internet, as we all know, is filled with ghouls and awful people. So how did, did you, one, did you get a backlash? Two, were you prepared for it? And, and three, how do you deal with it? Sure. Well, I would say that my superpower is being brave. But the problem with that is, is that, you know, sometimes there are unanticipated consequences of sort of putting yourself out there and it can be that. I also don't care too much what people who I don't know think about me because I really feel like I'm trying to pass on high quality information and I am the expert. So, so I kind of ignore the haters really. It, it is hard every now and then when people say nasty things or especially when a celebrity, you know, uses her international platform to just to, to sort of attack you, but it's okay. <laughs> <Gwyneth Paltrow. laughs> yeah. Um, but you know, calling me, that, that, you know, that's a mark that you've made it, isn't it? Yeah. I, mean, she, I know no one famous has attacked us yet. We're, we're clearly <laughs> we're not doing our point. job. Yeah. You right. know, to call me bizarrely confident talking about women's health. Uh, I don't know. Like <laughs> yeah. as an expert, yeah, right? I'm like the expert, right. but so, so it is hard, but I would have to say that most people, which has been pleasantly surprising, have been really kind. And I think that Trolls get inappropriately elevated mm-hmm. just in the way that bad reviews get elevated. And I would say that by and large, people have actually been kind and wonderful. And the when I go around speaking, I was recently in Canada speaking at, you know, my where I went to residency and all these women came up and just thanked me for standing up for women's health and knowing that there was an expert standing up saying that they cared about women mattered so much to them. Mm-hmm. So you know, it's worth it. Yeah. You sort of suck the marrow out of those moments. Um, is all this you're describing, like where, where, uh, people are posting stuff that may not be true celebrities. Is this the whole idea of the pseudoscience term or can you kind of elaborate on what pseudoscience is assuming that's what you're referring to? Yeah. I mean, there is, so a lot of this stuff is just plain old bad information. It's not pseudoscience, but you know, take this drug for this, you know, that's not necessarily pseudoscience. That could be bad science. So there's a lot of bad science we all combat too, right? As, as doctors, but you know, the pseudoscience is the stuff that sounds, you know, scientific. So kind of, Ooh, to, you know, an untrained ear, you might think, well, that, that sounds kind of like plausible, but to someone, you know, who's done the training, you're, you sort of sit back and say, no, that's, that's, that's pretty not 
plausible actually actually so you know so i think you know homeopathy would be a great example of something that's a pseudoscience right you know it's not possible for water to have memory and have medical properties that that would be magic <laughs> and, and um yeah thanks and as a follow-up to kaveh's uh question about um what was it backlash so i can't figure out or understand any reason for backlash actually if you're if you're debunking false claims i would think that backlash would be with the people putting those articles up versus someone like you telling the truth well the thing is, is you, we've seen this in this country i think more often than i remember any time in the past but where you question someone on their facts and you question someone on a belief that's based in the wrong facts and you present them with the right facts you get something called the backlash effect which is where they double down on that false belief they feel attacked and because of that they want to double down on that belief so if i were to tell you the warriors stunk and even if their record were to reflect that you'd be like no way they're the best team ever and that's kind of how people are about yeah <laughs> i i think that there is definitely a lot of that i mean there's there's also now we're seeing things where there's outside forces with i think even more malevolent intent you know there's was some data that I saw about, you know, Russian bots and trolls, you know, stoking the anti-vaccine movement. Mm. So mm -hmm. that's obviously a level of disinf that's disinformation, right? That's actually like a, a targeted campaign. But even if you get back to Andrew Wakefield, right? Kind of the mm -hmm. first sort of big sort of mm -hmm. pseudoscience vaccines cause autism, they don't. Uh, you know, he had this tiny case series, which we now know has been, you know, discarded because it's, you know, it was made up. And he held a press conference. I mean, how many of you have ever mm -hmm. seen a case series with a press conference? Right. Yeah. I mean, you don't even see large mega international. Yeah. I mean, maybe you might see like if there was an AIDS vaccine trial that was successful, you know, maybe there would be like mm -hmm. a news conference for that, something of that or an Ebola vaccine, you know, or we've cured cancer, you know, though that, that would be worthy of yeah. a, you know, of a news conference. But, you know a small case series and there's a news yeah. conference and then you find out, you know, he was marketing a test to try to help people decide if vaccines were safe for their kids. Yeah. So, so, you know, there's a lot of layers behind some of these things. What would be your argument for the, for the person that says whether or not vaccines are good or not, that's not important, but the, the parent should have a choice if there's any risk. Well, I, I think that it's, obviously everybody has a choice with their own body. And as somebody, you know, who for many years was an abortion provider, I fully believe that. So I think that you have your own choice with your own body. But when you are putting other people at risk, then there are issues with schools and public mm -hmm. health officials and things like that. I mean, what if I wanted to, to go to the bathroom in the street? It's my choice. It's my body. Shouldn't I be able to poo where I want? But, you know, if everybody started defecating in the streets, we'd have, you know, cholera epidemics and other problems. We'd have downtown San Francisco. Well, that's true. <laughs> there are many, there are many corners that we call, there's, there's, there, there's. I love San Francisco. I'm a San Franciscan. Yeah, you might take no some one, No on one take one. offense on that. I love our city, but there is some poop on the streets. Yeah, yeah well, there's a, there's a park uh, close to where I run with my partner and, and we call it human feces park because the smell is <laughs> right. just so bad. Oh, yeah, yeah. But, but, but so if everybody did that, then we would have a public health crisis. So I think that 
that you have to sort of temper what I want to do with my body. It's one thing if you're in your own home and that's the only place you ever are and you have no footprint. So, you know, so I think that it's just important for public health officials to be able to say, well, if you're going to come to this school, this is what you have to do. And that's just, that's the law. Yeah. Yeah. No, that makes a lot of sense. Yeah. My big pushback is the thing that I get the most hate about is supplements. Hold that thought. I want, okay. I want to, I want to yeah, get into I don't into know that. what you mean by that. I'm curious to we're, know. We're going we're gonna to get into that because okay. I definitely want to talk about that. But let's first, let's talk about Goop. Um, so uh, for Joe, I don't know if you're, and for our listeners who aren't familiar with it, Goop is uh, Gwyneth Paltrow's online lifestyle and wellness sort of e-commerce sort of site that she has. Raja, I don't know. Are you familiar with it? I became familiar for this interview today and I was... I had to stop after a while. <laughs> Just looking at the site, you like peruse the. Yeah, no, no, it was more about what Joe was getting to is the backlash against you know when you confront someone with like oh maybe X Y and Z is not true. So on um, the site, there's a lot of weird sort of claims, and they sell some things that are questionable at, yes. at best. I think the thing that brought you to at least my my consciousness was the uh, retort against jade eggs. <laughs> what does that so mean? Can you explain I read to that. Joe well, what the purpose, sure. the proposed use of these jade eggs were? Do you know that I'm the international expert in vaginal jade eggs? I know hey. more than anybody else because I've even published an article on it now too. Jade egg geologist? No, jade expert. I don't know. Oh, that's, <laughs> that's good. You're good. Uh, so so uh, last January, uh, Gwyneth Paltrow had some sort of self-professed jade expert, I'm the real one, uh, write a Q&A about the, the art of cultivating your female sexual energy by stuffing a jade rock up your vagina. Um, and they claimed, as many alternative medicine practices do, that this is ancient, right? That's kind of like the oldest gambit in the world. Sorry about the pun. But uh, so this was ancient, and that ancient Chinese concubines and, um, and uh, you know, wives of emperors did this to cultivate their sexual energy so they could control the emperors and i'm like okay that sounds like western exoticism of harems total orientalism yeah just totally like Mm -hmm. and and so i before i had actually done a deep dive into it i uh, so i wrote this somebody sent me a link to it this is how it always happens someone sends me some i get People send me links for crazy vagina articles every day. Maybe I get like 20 or 30 and I can't respond to all of them. But this was, I just read this and I was like, oh, for fuck's sake. So I just sat down and I wrote this reply maybe in 40 minutes for my blog. But, you know, I didn't, it's very easy for me to source something that I'm actually the expert in the vaginal microbiome. Right. So I wrote this reply and it went crazy and viral. And I, I mean, I was in like People Magazine and US, whatever, you know, all these like, you know, things you see in the waiting room yeah. and uh so how, how did you phrase that reply because <laughs> i'm uh, sure you have this, this kind of visceral reaction when you read this i think i'm and basically think, what am i going to say i said well you know i'm the expert and you're not and this is why and uh you know so i just went through the list of you know first of all the way they described to use it was biomechanically incorrect for the pelvic floor so i explained that because i'm a pelvic floor expert and then i explained you know how would you clean it and jade is porous mm. and uh you know if you want to and that there's a cochrane review that shows that pelvic floor weights are not superior to just doing kegel exercises mm. on their own mm-hmm. so you know and i know all this data because this is again my field of expertise so i didn't have to look mm-hmm. any of it up you know i have you know like the things you write about all the time you have those links like that you can just pull up all the time yeah so anyway so then you know and i you know i swing the bat at goop maybe every couple of months one because they annoy me but two because (laughs) you know this 
the celebrities, the writing of celebrities metastasizes, right? And it gets picked mm-hmm. up by multiple sources as opposed to the writing of, you know, the, you know, the Jade expert down the road. Right. Well, I think that's a great response to people who say something like, why do you care if this uh, person wants people to to put a rock on their belly to cure PMS or commune with the ghost of a vampire to cure their depression? Why do you care if it's a harmless thing? And I, well, please, I, I, you've already kind of answered it, but I think you have more to say about it. Well, I mean, I care because the truth matters, right? I mean, and and you don't want your your pilot flying your airplane based on that kind of data, right? So why would you want your health based on that kind of data? They're both safety. But I also see, and you guys probably see this a lot too, the burden of people doing all these useless things tends to turn them away from things that can help them, right? And in GI, right. you probably see a lot of that with irritable mm-hmm. bowel syndrome or you know mm-hmm. anything that, that you see. And so people come in and they've spent $80 a month on useless pro- probiotics. And then they've spent another $60 on this useless thing. And they list through all this stuff. And it, so it makes them feel like they've exhausted medicine when they haven't even started. Mm-hmm. And so it's, and you feel bad for people. People don't have that money to waste. And why? who profits ethically mm-hmm. from making somebody less informed about their body? Like that's yeah. wrong. Right. No, that makes, well, sorry, Joe, you had something. Oh, you no, say? no, no. Go ahead. So what, okay. So let me read something that you wrote about goop. And I thought this was great. <clears throat> the worst advice from Paltrow is the bullshit. She is, by the way, I appreciate that you curse and you're not afraid to curse. <laughs> <laughs> it is the bullshit. She is spouting about hormone levels. She brags about getting her hormones checked twice a year. That is, quite frankly, bad medicine. Neither ACOG nor the North American Menopause Society recommends hormone levels. They vary not only day to day, but throughout the day. And that kind of brings me to another point. This Not only is she sort of practicing bad medicine, but she's able to find doctors out there and medical professionals that are willing to support this. And there are medical professionals out there who are willing to support Goop, for example, and some of them have attacked you. One of them attacked you for like cursing in your, it, it, was, it was ridiculous. But like, can you explain how, what the appeal of something like this would be to a medical professional and how a medical professional can support something like this where there is, where it is pseudoscience? You mean like, explain how doctors get involved with this? Yeah. And why? Cash. I don't know. <laughs> Bad training. I mean, there's doctors who who talk about fluoride being dangerous. There's doctors who stoke the idea that the mercury fillings in your teeth are going to, mm. I don't know what, like pick up Wi-Fi. I mean, I'm okay. I still have mercury in my mouth. I'm 52. I'm still here. Uh, you know, there's doctors. I mean, Andrew Wakefield was a doctor and he, you know, promoted lies about vaccines. So, I mean, I think some people perhaps might fall into it because they don't really know. And it's hard to know everything about every field. But I think, and so, and I also think doctors are as vulnerable to fake news as anybody else. I mean, we've, there's fake news in medicine. Mm -hmm. We all need to admit that, you know, there's that pearl you were taught that, that everybody knows is true. And, you know, that you've been saying for 20 years. Mm -hmm. And then finally someone says, wait a minute, we should study that. Oh, hey, guess what? It's not true. Right. Mm -hmm. You know, so medicine has it too. Although I would say that those things are, misinformation not disinformation right Mm -hmm. like it's not there's no malice behind it it's still wrong and we shouldn't be doing it but i think that people who are out there selling supplements i'd love to ask them why they're doing that i mean i'd love to you know but again these guys speak some of them speak at conferences they get paid a hundred thousand dollars you know so i don't know i mean it's it's a curious mix and i think it just depends on the person 
Well, okay, let's get to supplements because I'm planning to go like full Alex Jones and like brand my own thing of like vitality pills. Vitality pills are going to make you better. So tell us about your take on supplements in general. Uh, they're useless. I don't know. I mean, certainly people who have very specific medical conditions or have specific risks might need that. So, you know, if you are somebody with very heavy periods and you've skirted along with iron deficiency anemia your whole life, it might be beneficial for you to take some, you know, iron every other day with a vitamin C uh, tablet, right? Yeah. Uh, because maybe you can't get it from your food. Yeah, I got to stop you. When you say um, that the supplements are worthless, are you talking about just Vi like a vitamin pill? Yeah, vitamins are worthless. They make really? expensive pee. I've never heard it, that. And if, I'm naive. I'm just shocked. I'm if so you, shocked to hear all if this. If you're in a Western country, you eat a normal Western or healthy Western diet, you, for most, the vast majority of people don't need any supplementation. There's no proof, at least, that I know of that they need it. I mean, maybe, I don't know, they're, they're, we, of, we oftentimes will supplement people with calcium and vitamin D, and that's a very common one that we use for specific situations. Right, but those are specific situations. are also not broad things that are have multiple products in them. So when I say a supplement, I'm talking about something that probably has more than two things in it, right? Because there are some combination vitamin D, calcium supplements. But for an otherwise healthy person who eats a balanced diet, you shouldn't need any supplements. You know, if you have a malabsorption, a known malabsorption syndrome, like, you know, I mean, I'm a gynecologist, so I don't know all these ones, but I'm sure that I've heard that people with cystic fibrosis, for example, they need to take supplements, right? Because right. their pancreas doesn't produce all the things that they need. Right. So you're not, you're not counting people with, with right. those diagnoses in this sort of general supplement pitch. But yeah, multi, so I think multivitamin would be a really good way to describe it. Nutritional supplements, uh, you know, meal replacement things outside of a medically supervised weight loss program. All of those things yeah. are, are not helpful. And in fact, there are some studies that show that, you know, supplements have an increased risk of all cause mortality. So, so you mean, for example, people who propose vitamin B12 injections or vitamin B12 when they're not proven to have vitamin B12 deficiency. Yeah. I mean, that, that's it. a big scam right now, right? Mm -hmm. Like you see a lot of that, which is so ironic because it looks really cool for people who've never seen a vitamin B12 injection. It's red. It's like <laughs> super cool looking. And they yeah. were giving those out at the goop conference, right? This dude, this <laughs> oh, doctor dude, these women were walking up and pulling down the yoga pants and everybody's getting shot in the ass with vitamin B12. And I'm like, well, I, you know, I, I've, I've, I've read all this dystopian fiction. I, I'm not going to let some stranger inject something <laughs> with me, um, but, uh, or inject me with something. But I think that, so it looks cool, but the whole irony is, as, as you guys know, right, oral vitamin B12 is essentially absorbed just as well. So there's no need for the shot. Right. So anyone telling you you need the mm -hmm. shot, unless you've got like short gut syndrome or something, right? Yeah, yeah, Help yeah. me out here. You're you're the gut expert. No, you're. I mean, I, I am very reluctant to, to for patients to take supplements unless it's something I want them to or another doctor specifically has asked them to do. And a lot of times, you know, getting back to the whole Alex Jones thing, a lot of the supplements he's hawked, they have like lead like yes. high levels of lead in them. Yes. We don't know exactly what goes into those things. Like some of them will have that green tea leaf extract. And right. And that causes liver failure. Yeah, exactly. So whereas I love green tea and green tea, I think is good for people like taking that extract and supplements. It's not something I recommend. So it, it does always make me a little concerned when people talk about it. It's something as a liver doctor, I have right. to talk about with patients. This is so shocking to hear all this stuff as a patient. Uh, how, you know, where's the laws? Like, if someone is lying about anything, really, whether it's in the media or with this kind of stuff, are there just no laws there that hold these people accountable, especially a doctor 
who's making money off of lying just doesn't make sense to me. And it's just surprising that there's not more checks and balances. This guy, Kevin Trudeau, you ever heard of him? Remember this guy? He wrote a book about uh, uh, miracle cures that your doctors don't want you to know. And he ended up going to jail. No. Right. Yeah. He he went to jail. (laughs) Keep the health all for ourselves. You know, pushing all these, you know, St. John's work will cure AIDS and whatnot. It's just baloney. And I don't know why people get away with it. Like it's, it's really just, sad. I really think personally that um, that the medical boards should be stepping up with this because, yeah. you know, we we always talk about ethics and practice, and I and I do think that it's you know it's certain behaviors are definitely unethical. I mean, the problem is also too in medicine that it's hard to say you know definitively, or if nobody's actually studied it, you can't say that someone's idea is wrong. Uh, but for example, so I think it's really good to to point things out. So. There was a study that showed that doctors who prescribe homeopathy are more likely to deviate from recommended treatment guidelines. I'm sorry, there are doctors that prescribe homeopathy? Yeah, there are. <laughs> there are. Roger, can you tell our listeners who don't know what homeopathy yeah. oh, gosh. is? And when I say our listeners, I mean Joe. <laughs> so, uh, well, you can correct me if I'm wrong. So homeopathy is, is basically, it's the idea... Um, that I'm sure is based in some quote-unquote ancient something-something, that if you were to, say, take some magical ingredient and dilute it, and dilute it again and again and again and again until there's some microscopic tiny traces of it in water, that it would somehow connote very powerful effects despite or perhaps because of the fact it was so diluted in water. And they have magical ingredients that will cure all sorts of things based on whatever your malady is of the day. So, you know, the idea that point zero 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 one percent of St. John's wort is actually even better for AIDS than taking the St. John's wort, yeah. you know. And um, and I got to say, like, you know, in, in quote unquote real life, um, you know, you go through medical training and I mean, you obviously don't even hear about this because it's not part of medical training because it's not true. Uh, and then you go out and practice in the real world and there's people on TV at my local news station uh, who put their white coat on and they put their doctor title on and I'm like watching these people I'm like what the heck is this doctor saying and at the end of the program like doctor of naturopathy yes ah uh, yes doctor of what naturopathy yes and they always they always put doctor of naturopathy whatever they, they, they emphasize that they believe that now they're not a physician they received a certificate that said doctor from whatever whatever naturopathy school but they're not actual not a medical do- doctor they're a PhD. No, no, they're not even no, PhD. They just use no, the no. word doctor. Oh man, they just use the word this because is... they know it'll it'll yeah it'll well, trick people. And right? homeopathy is a large part of naturopathy, right? So I mean, homeopathy is uh, it's crazy because they think that like treats like. So there was this naturopath in Canada that I wrote about a few months ago, who used a tincture from. Uh, supposedly from the saliva of a rabid dog to treat a child with aggression yeah. and, and the kid had his right. aggression. Well, we've because all he had thought of that. We've yeah. all considered that. I mean, who hasn't? <laughs> right. Um, and so I, so this is a really cool example about how people send me stuff. So I, you know, when I write about a lot of stuff, I have this team of unknown researchers sort of behind the scenes, people who are experts in this or that, who don't have the same platform, but they'll do a bunch of research and they'll send me stuff that I can verify pretty easily. And so after I wrote about that naturopath in Canada, someone sent me several links and information that clearly showed she had been using a product that had been imported illegally to Canada. So then I wrote about that and Mm -hmm. she's actually surrendered her license apparently. So you're having real effect. That's pretty rewarding. Yeah, but I couldn't have done that without, you know, 
know, the two or three people behind the scenes who were, you know, really active on their sort of like small level area. And I don't, I don't mean to belittle that as small as an unimportant, but just, you know, you know, the guy who studies the one enzyme for 20 years is actually, you couldn't treat liver disease if that guy had never done that research. You never know where that's going to go. You never know where that research is going to go. That's something we talk about a lot. People make jokes about like silly sounding research, but we say you never know where that research could lead to. So there there was one thing that both you guys, Raja and Jennifer, that you mentioned was this term ancient. And I think you've talked about this before, uh, but it, it does seem to be a word that people will use to defend some of the pseudoscience because how are you supposed to argue with something ancient? How are you to argue? Who are you to argue with the wisdom of the elders? And it's along these same lines of like why I find it funny that like we uh, romanticize like the carnivore diet or these paleolithic diets like people way back in the day were healthy. They were not. You know, like their life, the life expectancy was like 20. So like, it's funny to me, but that it does seem like it is uh, a a term that they use because they know you can't argue that much with it. Right. People frame things in a way that work for them. And sometimes it's to make them feel better. And sometimes it's for a financial motive, but also too many of these practices aren't even ancient. Homeopathy is from the 17, 1800s. Hmm. Reiki is from the 1900s and jade eggs are from 2018. (laughs) (laughs) VR 17, because I partnered with an archaeologist and we, we looked at all holdings from the four largest um, Asian art collections in the United States and, and we found no evidence of jade eggs. We found and jade butt plugs, but no jade eggs. Really? Oh, yeah. Well, start that now. Right. That's a- <laughs> well, no, but that's to keep, it's so fascinating. It's to keep chi in after birth, after death. Oh, oh, well, yeah, yeah. yeah. So they no, had, that makes sense. Yeah. So they had, yeah. So they had, <laughs> yeah. So they had, um, they had, had jade that went in the mouth mm-hmm. and the jade that went in the orifices to keep the chi in, which makes sense, but not for the vagina. No, clearly. I think there's a fine line between putting a jade egg in your butt. Don't put jade eggs in your butt people. Um, so there, there's something else I want to chat with you about too. And I, I recognize how strange this is. Three guys talking to you. Uh, about this. Um, we usually do have better female representation on the show, I have to say. But you, you've you written also about, I think for a lack of better uh, phrasing, vagina shaming. I don't know if that's something I just came up with or actually something I just read from you. But you, you're free to use it if you like. And uh, you wrote this great article. said, my vagina is terrific. Your opinion about it isn't. That's right. <laughs> I think that's a great one. You know why I like it? It's because, you know, what it makes me... What it makes obvious to me is that there is this inability of us to discuss these things openly. And because of that inability to discuss these things openly, people have insecurities about it. And mm-hmm. because of these insecurities we have about our genitals and our private parts, mm-hmm. people are able to make a lot of money off of that. Exactly. And I, I guess the question is, is that something that could even be changed? Is that too entrenched in our culture to be shaming vaginas and genitals in general? I think that goes for both female and male parts obviously. Right. Yeah, I think that no, I think that if I have anything to say about it, we're going to stop. So, and it's wonderful that, you know, a a publication like the New York Times thought it was important enough to, you know, to to for me to write about it. Um and that's the column that got me a column with the New York Times. Mm-hmm. So, um so that says a lot too. But uh, I think since the beginning of time, you know, fears about intimate places have been weaponized more for women than for men Mm. because women's value was based on how many errors they could produce. Right. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. So, and, and also virginity 
was prized. And so women culturally, since the beginning of time, have been basically graded based on parts, you know, their reproductive tract. And when we're at full parity financially, hopefully that we'll be able to have completely moved away from that. But it's very difficult to break down entrenched myths and entrenched beliefs. And so the best way I feel to break it down is to talk about it. And people don't really hear. I mean, women come into the office and they weep about their normal genital tracts because of the shitty things douchebags have said to them. Mm -hmm. Um, And I reserve that insult for men who are harmful to women, right? Because a a douche is harmful procedure for women. (laughs) So, um, you know, I, in, in regards to that, um, article, you, you wrote a little bit more about in terms of the backlash you got for that. And I put this throwaway line in basically, or sentence about how, you know, I was once shamed and there was nothing wrong with me and I'm the expert. And so I had the confidence to say, you know, fuck you. And I broke up with a guy. Uh, and I wrote that line and then all these men came to my blog. It got promoted by all these men society, male societies. Apparently all 7 billion men had a meeting and said they doubled down that I have a stinky vagina. And uh, yeah, men left all kinds of instructions about how I should prep myself for men, all kinds of shit. And I'm like, I ain't fucking having it, dude. So, so that's, so, so then I wrote in response and it, and then, oh, a bunch of men had a podcast where they talked and laughed about my stinky vagina. I'm not shitting you. People like tag all these nasty ass men came out of the woodwork. I have all these screenshots from Facebook from all these private messages and direct messages. I got one today from a guy from who, who, um, wanted to, uh, talk to me about my stinky vagina. Actually, he sent me six direct messages on Facebook this morning. Wow. Yeah. That's terrifying. Isn't so, it? Um, yeah, not really. I mean, you know, Oh, I did get, I did get also a snail mail one. Somebody sent me a letter all the way from Africa about, yeah, I mean, the postmark was, oh, I, I can't remember. Made it. Yeah. I think the postmark was from Nigeria. I think it was one of those scams, but that's kind of a slow way to scam people. <laughs> like if you're going to mail letters, like, you know, you like it was, but it was really postmarked like from Nigeria yeah, about, yeah. you know, that he, he could help me with my stinky vagina. <laughs> if I just sent him money. Oh my God. You got to respect that. That's yeah. really I mean, that, focused. That's, that's a bit of an effort, but right. man, I mean, it's if personalized yeah. touch from the Nigerian prince, but if you're going to like, I'm thinking that's just not, a, it doesn't seem to me like a financially returnable investment yeah, to be a, snail mailing all right. these people. You're right. Niger- a lot of investment he's making in time. Yeah. Time is money. So, so yeah, so that, so it was, it was just ridiculous, but it proved my point. It proved my point that men shame women about vaginas. It, it proved it better than I could have even, you know, ever done. We weren't at that meeting, just so you know. Okay. <laughs> I'm a totally naive stereotype dude here. I, I, I don't know anything about why a vagina would smell. So for me, not knowing anything, I would think, yeah, there's probably something. She has a disease or something's causing that. What is this condition you're talking about that is nothing to do with a disease or anything that would cause a smell nothing a really I, um that's just an, normal an idiot man that would be yeah. i would say that there's not a smell that would be that would be just the you know what happens when someone who is being cruel you know men men say a lot of and men who aren't like that don't get it but 
there are a lot of cruel men who drop a lot of cruel comments about the women that they're dating, how you could be better, how you could change. And sometimes it's really obvious and sometimes it's just little statements. And, and unfortunately, many of us, myself included, have been vulnerable to that. I mean, I dated someone for a long time who would make all kinds of comments about my curly hair, just be better if I got it straightened. Wow. Yeah. Wow. I know, and my hair is like So there's always going to be, with a guy like that, it's going to be something, right? It's always going to be There's always going to be, fine. they're finding some reason to to put themselves above you. Yeah, I mean, it's a, and it's a form of emotional abuse, yeah. right? So I would consider it abusive behavior, and, and hopefully women can recognize that. I mean, someone, if someone thinks there's something wrong with your body, they should speak to you out of kindness. They should say, hey, gosh, I've noticed a change. And and maybe you just might want to check that out and say it in a super nice, kind way. I mean, in the same way, if you noticed a mole on your lover's back, you'd say, oh, hey, there's something that's a little bit different here that hasn't been Mm -hmm. here. And it looks concerning to me. And and I just wanted to point it out. So you should always speak from kindness. And if someone that that would be the universal message I would want for women out there and men, if someone speaks to you with anything else but kindness, then they are not the person for you. Well, that's a great way to close this interview. (laughs) Um, Thank you so much for coming. I think in this day and age where the truth, basic truths are called into question more than ever. I think what you're doing, your work is super important. I think the way you're approaching it, particularly from from a very human perspective, from a very down to earth perspective, I think it's really important. So thank you so much for coming on the show. Thank you. Thanks for having me. It was a lot of fun. Thank you. Yeah. Th- thank thank you. you to Raja for joining us today. We appreciate you coming down, buddy. Yep. Thank and you. Uh, thank you to Joe and Lizzie for uh, and Nadim for edits and production. We miss you, Lizzie. We'll see you next time. And uh, make sure you catch us on iTunes. Rate us. Give us five stars, please. And check out our YouTube channel. It is the House of Pod on YouTube, right, Raja? Is there anything special no. they need to do to find that? No. All right. Thank you guys so much. Keep the questions and the emails coming at uh, 408-444-6623 and hopquestions at gmail.com. Hopquestions at gmail.com. All antidotes and patient-related details have been changed with respect to date, sex, and certain details so that patient identification is not possible. Hold up. 
What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style.